Hello. Inflation, volatile markets and energy crisis in Europe. The seasons may be turning, but the financial headlines remain alarmingly familiar. I'm Richard Edgar, and in this month's CIO update, I'll be asking Fidelis' Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey, how what we're seeing now compares to previous financial crises and what we might expect from the winter ahead. Andrew, hello, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Richard. Good to see you again. Well, let's um, start in the US. And there was some much hotter than expected inflation data, which drove Wall Street to its worst day in more than two years. Do you think the Federal Reserve will take fright at that reaction? Or are they more on the steely resolve side of things as, as far as interest rate hikes are concerned? My personal perspective on, on this is that one of the challenges they face and uh, you know the CPI as a a number that's showing resilience after hopes that it was topping out and uh, would come off in um, a clear and you know new pathway to give confidence of uh, you know where we could go back towards nearer their target levels not just that but it's the financial conditions that can drive that move that I think they must be getting very frustrated of not being tightened into the level that they would want and that I think will be you know somewhat of the focus. So yes, the CPI is something that again they would like to see some some relief clearly, but I think it's the fact that to get that CPI to where they want it, to get the inflationary pressures that have built up to uh, you know, a better place, means that they've got to tighten financial conditions more than they have been. And I think that most probably is going to be a big part of the conversation coming up. I mean, some of the financial conditions are already being felt on mortgage holders, for example, in the States. That's now beginning to feed through, isn't it? So it is. um, But I think that when you look at some of the uh, other aspects that uh, feed into that, um, you know, clearly there has been tightening and there has been, you know, quite substantial um, relative tightening to what we've seen maybe in some of the more recent um, you know, periods where we've had tightening pressure. You know, looking back, obviously, to, uh, uh, to 2018, that's uh, looking into the 2013 taper tantrum uh, effect. But this is with a very different set of circumstances around it. There, we had relatively benign inflationary environment. Here, we clearly don't have that position. We've had inflation get very much more into the system and uh, you know, much higher levels, much more concern around how that may uh, manifest itself and continue uh, through time. So it's got to get financial conditions very tight. Um, and that you know, has been challenging, despite uh, the move on rates, despite the, the conversations that um, you've seen uh, coming through from um, the Federal Reserve uh, governors as well as from Jerome Powell. So I, I think that when we um, look at that um, perspective of what's changed, I think it's the part that you know financial conditions have to get to a point that really is uh, you know, going to address that concern. And this is where we move in again to where the markets, you know, funnily enough, actually through the summer, really did toy with the could we get the soft landing? Could this be the top two uh, inflation um, you know, in front of us? Could it be that the economy will not weaken as much as, uh, as feared and that, that because tightening will not have to be as um, uh, severe as well? Well, the reality is, as we've come out of Jackson Hole, come through uh, August into September, we're now finding that actually the risk is that uh, more needs to be done to contain those inflationary pressures, that the uh, reality in the economy is that we have this very strange condition as well. And this is not just the US phenomenon, it's across many parts of the developed world where you have hard data. So, you know, very much reflecting what is um, 
you know, and, uh, you know from, especially from consumers, um, but also from uh, corporates where there is ongoing um, signs of uh, demand holding up. There are some cracks to that, but um, fewer than we would have expected at this stage of developments, whereas some of the soft data and sentiment-led uh, data has um, you know, been weak, but even there, again, showing signs of relative stability. So it, I think you know, for the markets, it's a very difficult position because they've got to try and navigate these, uh, you know, these cross-currents. But for the Federal Reserve, I think the reality is the risk is that they will push on now because they're not getting the traction and creating the you know, impact feeding through into conditions that they were hoping for. And that, I think, will make for a very tough meeting coming up. You touched on other markets. We've been talking there about the US, but let's talk about Europe. And um, the energy crisis is still very dominant. And central banks are pretty powerful institutions, but they can't change gas prices, for example. There are some promises of government intervention, but what do you expect to happen um, in the winter months that, uh, of the Northern Hemisphere that lie ahead? I think there's one part that um, you know it's very hard to uh, call, which is the weather itself, um, because that will play a very important part. Because what we've seen in Europe is a build-up in storage. Um, they've been uh, you know very aggressively looking to try and cover you know demand as they would see it through um, the winter months. But if it's a you know a very harsh winter, then that that will be a struggle. Um, I think the challenge though is not just looking through this next um, you know, uh, winter period for um, Europe or for any country. I think that some of the challenges that are being created now and the fact that we are going to see that having to replace so much of where supply had come from is going to last through the year ahead and uh, the year beyond and, uh, uh, and therefore that it's not just going to be one winter but possibly a couple. And again, this goes back to how can they manage demand as well as access supply. Do you think that investors are being far too short-sighted uh, at the moment? Because there's very little discussion beyond this immediate winter period that's coming up. Uh, so the risk is that they could be because um, you know this is something that is going to you know play out for for longer. And even if you were to see conditions improve, and that the consequences of the the war that started to um, you know, we started to see that the current success of uh, the Ukraine um, army and its actions, uh, you know, led to some degree of expectation that um, uh, there could be more opening up of obviously the channels from uh, Ukraine itself. Especially, you're not going to see the rolling back of sanctions. You're not going to see the uh, all of a sudden the turning back on of, uh, of Nord Stream to you know, full um, access. So it is going to roll on for longer. And I think there's something maybe not being fully built in and appreciated. But back to your point about the central banks and uh, for the, the government action, we already know there's government intervention. Um, so, you know, there will be support. How meaningful that fiscal support is in terms of, you know, being able to do anything that actually creates, um, you know, the dynamic that for, you know, improving through time, I just think is limited because it's deferring the problem. You know, the underlying problem is getting prices down. You know, it's getting the supply to allow that, um, you know, prices can drop. And so you're not having that, you know, cost of living impact that we're seeing into, um, uh, you know, individuals and to, to corporates. And I think one of the challenges is that as we look into 23 is that you've now got significant increase again in fiscal um, uh, intervention. So therefore debt um, coming onto government's balance sheets. You've got central banks 
have in a very difficult position. We discussed that uh, inflationary pressures still looking very hot, and so um, you know addressing that issues they see directly in front of them. And also to remember, unlike the US, which has the dual mandate. ECB has one mandate, which is that inflation um, number being hit. So, you know, they're very much uh, geared to that, even though they're very aware of, and, and I think that, you know, we will see signs of some of the, uh, you know, effects of this in terms of deteriorating economic outlook. However, again, hard data has looked slightly better than, um, than not. So it's given them a degree of almost confidence to continue on that pathway to try and get rates um, up. And I think this creates going into 23, a very difficult set of conditions because they have to push further maybe than we would like. And this is where it goes back to something we touched on before and, and said, you know, my greatest fear is that we end up in a situation that it's an inflationary bust. So the inflation continues to roll on. Central banks respond to that. They go slightly further than we thought that they, they would do. And then you have the real break in demand. And that's when you have a much more worrying environment. There's a strangling of, uh, of, of demand and of the economy and the, the, the crash that follows. Well, it has happened before. Um, and there's lots of comparisons being made with uh, cycles you know, at the end of the 70s, early 80s in the States, for example. They say history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. What are the rhymes that you're picking up this time that you think are, are sensible to apply um, this time? Yeah, so I think one of the, the challenges and goes back to what I was just saying on debt is that a very different debt situation then. You know, there was the ability to come from relatively low levels of um, debt to GDP profile for many of the major countries. So there was an opportunity to um, support where, where required. But also that, you know, what we haven't seen yet, and this is the part that's obviously worrying if we do see some of that rhyming continue, is that they had to have really very extensive financial conditions tightening that led to the real destruction of the demand to really get inflation out of the system. And and this is the part where hope is still um, in there that actually inflation can roll over. Some of these things won't prove to be permanent, that they may have been with us for a while, they may still be challenges, but they are not going to continue to create that um, uh, you know strength of um, follow-through. And the parts there that I think for um, fiscal um, policy is that you know, we're starting from very high levels of debt, the very different um, profile. And central banks, if they push rates too far, the impact is that feedback into the real rate actually, you know, becoming clearly positive um, in a meaningful um, way and that having a negative feedback loop onto um, the, the debt profile. And that means that, you know, the income to support or the cost is going to go up quite substantially and draw away from that fiscal support that's still needed, as, as I said, that we've deferred the issue, not addressed the underlying, which is the, the cost of, uh, of everything um, you know, staying high. So again, that we said you know, a long time ago, um, you know, this sort of pathway would get narrower and narrower to the, the sort of soft landing outcome. And I think that the markets are still toying with it, but the pathway is getting ever narrower as we uh, you know, see the weeks pass. That's um, a worrying, a worrying note to strike. You, you mentioned a couple of times about um, the dissonance between hard data, what's actually happening, or perhaps what has happened, because it usually comes with a lag, and the soft data, which is usually much more current, which is surveys of, of things like management um, confidence. Where are the canaries in the in the coal mine that you're you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, so it's where we see that some of the the, the activity is moving from what looked like originally confident um, 
say consumption to actually distress consumption so in, and that being the types of lending taking place um, so is it moving from people being confident and thinking well actually that I can you know buy now and that um, I'll have the ability to to pay that off and it's uh, you know rates will be higher so it sense will make that decision and so consumption they're very confident or is it that actually that people are borrowing money to fill in the gaps um, where you know their income is starting to be stretched that where they can't afford to pay some of the um, increase in, in mortgages cost of living um, impacts in other ways and it's really you know trying to see some of the insights into those types of lending data for for one. I think another is is again sort of you know scrutinise and understand the nominal versus real. You know as we see in many of the the retail activity, and we've seen again some strong numbers there. But you know once you take out the sort of nominal effects of inflation, that actually those numbers very much flattening off, and they're starting to show signs of. Uh, of declining now, and so to really keep um, close eye on that. Uh, but also, as you said, for the for the sentiment, do we see that come through in terms, especially in the corporate world, you know, order books, and and what is the new inventory cycle? Because the problem is that we don't really know that part of the the post COVID, but also was preparing before COVID with the trade challenges, was bringing things onshore, trying to change supply chains, make them shorter. And so inventory cycles starting to change. You know, do I need to get a little bit more um, on board and have a slightly longer um, and larger amount of um, inventory because it's now, you know, the just-in-case versus the just-in-time? But if we start to see some of these other in-case around demand starting to, uh, to fall off, then the risk is that there's going to be you know, very high levels of, um, of inventory that has to be uh, cleared. And, and maybe this is one of the interesting things we've noticed in corporate activity as well, that many corporates very much focused on to trying to maintain margin at this stage. So actually not looking for sort of, you know, growth, but actually to maintain where they are and keep that profitability up. And again, how do they respond if that starts to be challenged? The world is is changing fundamentally because um, some of the things that have driven uh, prices down, like globalization, geopolitics are getting in the way of that as well, aren't they? They are, and I think this is one of the things that we, you know, really do need to focus on and understand more. It's politics and the geopolitics um, have tended to be very much put into to the uh, uh, you know the back of uh, uh, the investor mind because we've had such strong forces around central bank intervention, or more recently the fiscal intervention and the consequence of that, but also just the impact of low or negative um, rates that we've had that is now changing. Um, and so I think the geopolitics actually become much more important because one, we move to this sort of multipolar environment. So there's going to be much more that is influenced at a local regional level. And I think within that, it means that you know, need to, to understand that how are those forces playing out and creating, you know, pressures or improvements or opportunity that come within those um, areas that won't be transmitted in the way they were in globalization where you sort of could see a trend somewhere that very clearly was going to work around and have a positive impact and and again it's back to that disinflationary force giving way to a more inflationary force as again you know, sort of the reindustrialization decarbonization very much you know, still very firmly as a uh, as a trend that um, underlying a lot of activity um, and so as we try to in- incorporate this i think we have to understand geopolitics more. We have to understand the drivers of policy settings and and reactions because the feedback loops into policy in an environment where we have 
central banks tightening policy, changing the dynamic of support for financial markets actually is going to be much, much more important than it has been looking back. You've given us the massive big picture there. Let's bring it back down now to Fidelity's core asset allocation. How has that changed? So not substantially, that we continue to be relatively cautious and so have um, uh, maintained slightly higher cash levels uh, as even we've gone through this recent period where markets recovered actually to, to build up um, slightly more cash uh, in that respect. Continue to be slightly more defensive in terms of the, the credit exposure, but looking uh, you know, to, uh, to areas where possibly, again, where the discounting of really a much more um, challenging cycle may be starting to appear and to, to look if that's opportunity yet, or at least to be maybe not quite so uh, uh, you know, negative if pricing has in, improved, um, but not being very aggressive at, uh, at this stage. The equity markets still very much, um, you know, the dynamics where uh, major concern is looking to, to Europe. Um, obviously, the degree to which we're seeing uh, someone like China um, seeing improvements that, but still not really feeding through because there still are a number of barriers. And obviously, one big part is the People's Congress that uh, is coming up in the um, middle of October um, as a catalyst for maybe some of that stimulus to uh, be felt more broadly and uh, have an impact back into um, financial markets as well. And then I think the, the one that's most difficult to, to choose, and we've got maybe a little bit more neutral now, is looking to the FX markets and the dollar that has been you know, very strong. And um, uh, you know, some of my thoughts around that, that you know, we would see more challenges to it of um, being sort of steamrolled by the strength of the dollar. And, and that really, I think, again, causing problems around the world um, that if we see that continue. So really more neutral because it's now very overvalued. But, you know, do you fight it yet? I think you've got to look for some some signs that we haven't had because we discussed that the Federal Reserve isn't being given the circumstance to, to pivot. If anything, it's going to, you know, uh, increase its rhetoric more than uh, uh, you know, we had thought. And that, I think, will be very damaging um, for uh, you know, um, some of the uh, uh, the markets still to have to navigate, as we've said. So caution is the is the key. Levels are definitely getting better in some areas of the market, but not being aggressive to um, to participate just yet. So stepping cautiously on an increasingly narrow path in the winter months, um, and we'll, we'll 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 test your weather forecasting next time, um, Andrew. But that that's it for this month. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thanks to uh, you for listening as well. If you'd like to read more on any of the topics we've covered today, please head to your local Fidelity website or to fidelityinternational.com. The producer today was Holly Eastman. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.